0: Hello podcast listener, the app guy podcast, every Sunday and Thursdays,
1: straight from your host, Paul, the app guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment.
0: The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul, the App Guy.
1: Welcome to the App Guy Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Paul Kemp, and it's a great pleasure this evening to introduce a guest of the show. Uh, His name is Branko Cerny, and we're really looking. I'm personally looking forward to having a chat with Branko because he is the co-founder of Square One Mail, and if you haven't heard of square one and you need to go and quickly google square one mail have a look at the uh, the website and the app it's a beautiful slick mail app and um, I'm really pleased that you could find the time to join us on the app guy podcast Pranko.
0: hey Paul my pleasure and thank you for the kind words
1: um, well thank you for bringing the world such a, a beautiful mail app it's <laughs> the pain of many of us I mean obviously that we've lived with you know these these uh, mail apps and it's been a real pain for us trying to manage mail, keep on top of it. So, what I'd love to start off with is just literally tell us a little bit about you know, yourself and, and also uh, how you came up with this uh, idea for the company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, um, my name is Bronco, I'm 24, and um, I just graduated college a year ago. And, and the company, um, the genesis of the company, happened as, uh, as, as one of those typical kind of dorm room stories. Um, I went to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire here in the states, and I studied psychology. And I was involved with a ton of stuff on campus. And uh, the the biggest time commitment that I had was uh, I got chosen to run the business operations of the daily newspaper on campus. Which you know it might sound like it's just university paper, but when you get to it, it's 300 people that you're managing a million dollar budget, and so um, it was a pretty sizable operation to do kind of on the side with classes happening and, and trying to have friends and, and trying to have a girlfriend who hated me for constantly being on my phone and, and checking my email and realizing, you know, I was spending an inordinate amount of not just time, but more importantly, uh, my focus, constantly checking into information feeds from all the other things that I was not doing at the moment. And so if I was studying, I would be checking my phone constantly to make sure that everything was going fine with the paper, etc., etc. And, and, and so, you know, the field of study for me at Dartmouth was psychology, and I started really readily um, kind of understanding just how awful um, this constant fragmentation distraction was for me being able to be productive and, and just spend a chunk of time fully focused on something. And I started looking into the problem, and I realized that there were some truly horrifying stats about email. You know, um, on average, folks check their email 36 times an hour during the nine to five business days, which is staggering. And when you do kind of look away from whatever you're doing at the moment and and check your email or check your Facebook, et cetera, it costs you up to 10 minutes to get back into full focus on whatever you were doing at the moment. And when you kind of put those two numbers together, you realize that we're literally sabotaging ourselves from being able to, to, to focus on whatever we're doing fully. And and kind of throw in the fact that we all have smartphones in our pockets and they all get push notifications. And so even if you don't have that compulsion to check, your phone makes sure to buzz and force you. And so I started thinking about what would be a better way to deal with email. And I really started approaching the problem from a very non-technical human-oriented perspective. And, and and the kind of basic tenets that I came up with were, you know. It needs to be a situation where you're removed from the noise and where the application or the service is aware of what your needs and priorities are right now at the moment, much like a personal assistant sitting outside her office would be, such that you only get disturbed with things that actually are a priority at the moment. And what's more... When you do check your email, it should be an experience where, at a glance, you know whether or not there are things that you care about right now, and you get to decide what you look at and what you don't, because the minute that you look at a list of texts, your brain is taking it all in, and you're already spending tons of your brain power and tons of your focus on this stuff, and so that was kind of the original idea, and uh, I got together with my two co-founders, one of them an iOS developer, one of them... uh, um, UX designer, and we started really um, thinking about, you know, is this something that's possible to build? What it, would it look like in real life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then I graduated. I, I joined the marketing team at Google, and, and we kind of kept kicking the idea around on the side. But then, you know, three months into working at Google, I realized, holy cow! Um, I thought I had an email problem before, but right now I'm literally drowning in information. Now that I've started an actual job. And so very quickly, um, we decided this was a big passion that we had and, and a problem that we thought was really worthwhile to solve and, and, and one that we thought we may have a unique insight into or, or, or a different take on because we did start from a very human-centric perspective as opposed to a, supposed to a technology and feature-centric perspective. And so we decided to give it a go. And that was uh, almost a year ago, last August. And fast forward to right now we launched the product 2 weeks ago on the app store and, and so far so good.
1: Firstly, I just want to thank you for looking at this problem from a humanistic standpoint. And I mean, we you're right, you know, putting those uh, numbers together, all the, the all the times during the day that we look at our email is staggering and you know, clearly it's a big problem and I love the fact that you've got together with your co-founders and founders. A good marriage of uh, strengths and talents. So, you, uh, who is your OS, iOS developer and uh, your UX developer?
0: Yeah, so we've grown a little bit since. Um, it's five of us working on the problem right now. Um, originally, both my co-founders are also from Dartmouth, um, and uh, so, so we're kind of all you know recent grads. But since we've hired a couple much more senior guys onto the engineering team, so. Um, way our backend uh, engineer actually spent five years at Google working on on the Gmail backend, and uh, Arthur, our senior iOS guy, developed the entire. I uh, was the lead. iOS developer in the entire CRM platform at Insightly, and has built a, a number of kind of top ten apps before. Um, and so we're we're kind of a very healthy, interesting mix of very excited, very young guys. And I, and I was really lucky in being able to find very talented co-founders. James and Sang are both just incredibly talented in what they do. And then we were really fortunate to be able to hire you know very senior people with significant industry experience. And so we're kind of combining this very fresh, passionate look of we really purposely want to break the convention of what email has been with we have a couple industry veterans who are bringing in all the best practices and making the service robust and and scalable and secure etc.
1: I mean what I love about this story is that and I think the way it's inspiring me and no doubt you know the indie app developers and the entrepreneurs listening to this is that you have taken a problem that some people could have said is a highly competitive field I mean you're competing against the likes of Google and Microsoft these huge powerhouses that have dominated uh, mail for um, well the last 15 20 years Microsoft I think I mean uh, you've got into the market you've had a fresh look and you've you've really figured out a better way of doing it more more so than these companies with you know, huge resources behind them, and so it's just inspirational to to know that that is capable, and that there really is. If you look at a problem from a humanistic standpoint, then there is hope for all of us to to come up with that idea and and move forward with it. So,
0: thanks for saying that. You know, it's uh it, it's interesting. Um, I definitely don't think that we're presumptuous enough to uh, to state um, or to think that we've developed a solution that's flat out better than than any than any of those amazing large companies have been able to build. I think the the question is not so much along you know a binary line of better or worse but much more about what it is that's being built, right? Um, Google is a phenomenal company um, packed with smart people and they're building their email product for the scale of hundreds of millions of users and so they kind of have to cater to a massive scale, various use cases, and, and kind of make everybody happy. And, and so in that context, it's tremendously challenging to be driving kind of experimental innovation, right? Um, whereas we're approaching this, um, the, the advantage of being a startup, of course, we're at a resource advantage, as every startup is, but we're the advantage of the people who will first use our product are the early adopters who are willing to put up with bugs, who are willing to experiment with a new workflow, who don't get flustered by a changed user experience, who are actually excited by it. And so we have the luxury of being able to say, hey, the way that email has been for the last 35 years, we're trying to do it completely differently because we think it will be much better for you and your productivity and you will get much more time to focus on the things that you love. We think that it's absurd. That an email from your mom, and your and your partner, and Facebook and a comer- e-commerce site should have the exact same weight in your inbox. We think that it should be a much more personal experience. But you know, who is to say that we're right, or who is to say that we'll nail this experience? We, however, have the luxury of being able to experiment. And so, I definitely wouldn't um, kind of bash any of the any of the large players. This is just how the landscape is evolving, and that's why I think that um, Silicon Valley and, and and all these other hubs around the world of of innovation, where venture capital is available for good ideas, um, are all incredible things.
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Google, um, but it's the, you know, you look at their history with mail, and they made some changes uh, recently with. Gmail and putting uh, mail into different categories automatically. So putting um, promotional updates in a separate uh, tab. And they got a lot of uh, backlash just for that one change. And so I can see why you're coming at it from a perspective of uh, being nimble and being able to uh, focus on a different subset of people, those people that are prepared to put up with um, a different way of doing it. But you must be so excited because uh, I didn't mailbox one of the um, iPhone app it's an app that I actually use. Uh, that, that was bought out by Dropbox, I think um, for quite a lot of money. so <laughs> you must be really excited about your idea. Ah,
0: well, I don't know if thats the I don't know if, if that were the reason why we're excited about what we're doing, then we would probably all be working at a hedge fund. Um, doing a startup is, is, is definitely uh, not a direct trajectory toward making money, and it's uh, it, that's kind of not a sustainable motivator, I think. Um, we're very excited. Now that we've launched, we're very excited by every single user who emails us and says, hey, I love what you've done for my productivity, and I've switched over to you from whichever solution I was using before, um, that's kind of what's driving our excitement. And of course, you know, if ultimately that brings us to a successful story for the company as a business, then then that's always very desirable. But right now we're focusing on making our users happy and, and developing the product.
1: There are people listening who are perhaps in that position where they're, uh, could be, they could be working, they could be uh, thinking about leaving uh, university and going straight into a career but i do believe some of those people will be also thinking about going to a startup so perhaps you could just expand what it's really like to work for a startup i mean the ups the downs you know the paint a picture for us in terms of the emotions that you have to go through working in a startup and and Try to give some sense of what it's like to those people who may be sitting on the fence.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I think everybody's experience is very specific and I don't know just how qualified I am to generalize. But overall, I think um, doing a startup takes a specific kind of temperament and mentality. Um, there are different people have different things that make them tick. And I think um, if being independent and, and kind of, mentally responsible for making things happen is something that you need in your life, and, then a startup may be the right challenge. Um, the, the amazing thing is that your job is not just a job. You're never kind of off the clock, even if you're you know, out drinking with your buddies, that may be when you get the idea of how to make that one idea happen. And, 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 and there are so few people and so few resources that you're truly just kind of owning whatever you're doing. And, uh, and and so that's kind of the benefits and that's the beauty of everything. And, you know, you get that kind of, on the other hand, you get that glorified image of startups as, you know, you get the social network movie and stuff. It's like, I got an idea. Then I got 10 million users. Then we, then we bought a house in Palo Alto and we're smoking weed all day and swimming in the swimming pool and then we zone in and code it It's not quite like that, although it can be um but it, it's uh the downs are many um there is constant fear of you know the startup ends when you run out of money, and so as much as everybody's motivated by the idea and the product, et cetera, you have to be focused on your money, your burn rate, how much you have left um how can you fundraise um that can bring with it some interesting incentives where maybe you're catering your product a little more toward investors at first so that you can then have the runway to build it for the users that you actually want to target. And so, like everything, um, it's a bit of a game and you have to be deliberate and strategic, um, but it's it's a very exciting and fun game. And and for me, you know, especially at, at, at a young age, um, what's incredible about doing a startup is that I feel like I'm learning all the right things. Um, you know, you can, you can work at a large company and, and it may be right for a lot of people um, but often at a large company you will be learning things that are specific to that company. You'll be learning about how to do things right at that particular company. How the structure works at that particular company. How to promote your personal professional growth at that particular company. Whereas in a startup you kind of have to learn how to properly think about designing a product, how to properly market yourself, how to build a network of people who will actually be supportive of you and, and how to be reciprocal and be, and be supportive of those people, how to communicate thoughts. It's I, I would say that it's skills that are much more generalizable to just kind of anything that you want to do in your life. I think through being a startup CEO, um, I've learned to I've learned things that generalize to my personal life. To never be afraid to ask for things. Whenever I go out shopping now, I just ask whether there is a discount that they can give me. Because why not? You know, when <laughs> I just uh, I was just buying it. I was just buying a gym. I was just buying a gym membership, and and essentially I gave the, and they told me how much it was going to cost, and there was going to be this kind of entry fee and stuff. And I kind of gave them the parameters of how it could work for me and what I can do for them kind of reciprocally and and how many people I can bring them. And I essentially negotiate them down to like 40% of what was going to happen. And that just kind of becomes forced to habit. That just kind of becomes the life skills that you bring with you into everything you do because you have to learn them in order to survive as a startup. And I think that that's what makes it a really exciting path to take in your
1: life. I I was almost thinking as well, um, you mentioned at the start, your girlfriend got quite frustrated with you being constantly on your phone. So I can't imagine what it's like living with you now uh, whilst you're at a startup uh, (laughs) focusing on apps uh, or the app uh, for mail. So uh, I can't imagine you get too much free time. Uh, (laughs) What's it like raising money? How stressful is that?
0: Yeah, it's uh, so, you know, that never ends and it's a constant stress that you just kind of have to learn to live with um and 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 i think it in fact becomes increasingly stressful because the stakes are higher it's even stressful for people like aaron levy who you know you think as as a, as a celebrity entrepreneur, but even he has to raise money, and, and now they have to go public, and that's another fundraising event that you also have to be stressed about, and you have to do right because it, it can it can seriously damage your company if not done properly. And so yeah, it's it's incredibly stressful. Um, it can be. It, it depends on how you approach it. It depends a little bit on luck. Um, it really depends on personal relationships with the people that you're talking to because ultimately we're all humans and if you've successfully executed an idea previously and people know you, then they're that much more likely to trust you and, and invest in you in maybe an early stage. Um, for, for us, as kind of first-time entrepreneur founders, um, we were starting from, from scratch. We we're starting from, hey, here's an idea. Hey, here's how we execute. This is how we do things. This is how fast and well we work. Um, it, it's all about building relationships. And so that side of fundraising, I really enjoy. Um, going out and meeting people who, as a rule, are incredibly smart and incredibly inspiring. And in my experience here in the Bay Area has been that they're also incredibly generous with their time and advice. Um really really fun. And, and, and it kind of continues to be fun and inspiring and humbling up to the point when you realize now I actually have to ask these people to write me a check. Otherwise, my company will not survive. And then it becomes kind of less fun and more stressful <laughs> a little bit. And uh, But you know, I, I think it's uh, like everything, it's an acquired skill. Um, there is a method to fundraising. There are people who can give you advice who have gone through it. Um, there are There are ways that you can Sabotage yourselves. There are ways that you can set yourself up for success. And kind of general best advice is look at people whose kind of story is as much is, is as much um, akin to your story as possible, and ask them about how they did it. And then take that with a grain of salt because sometimes people get lucky, sometimes they get unlucky. Um, so yeah, fundraising is a is a big part of what a startup CEO has to do. Um, in an ideal universe, we should all be able to build the product first, show how amazing it is, and only then fundraise on that. But unfortunately, that's not sometimes the economic reality of where people are. And so sometimes you do have to kind of raise on an idea or a wireframe or just an impressive pitch. And, and, and those things can, can get tricky, but it's doable. And I think the, the, the most important pieces are, one, approach everything as building a personal relationship and two don't be afraid to go to a number of people because you know um, all these investors they all have their own personal thesis they all have so many possible deals to look at and so it, it's a little bit like dating It's, it's to a certain extent a numbers game <laughs>
1: that was my philosophy when I was at college as well <laughs> That's another story. You know, you sound remarkably mature for a twenty-four-year-old, and it's just a joy to listen to you. And uh, I'm amazingly impressed. If I had a few million in the bank, then I would be throwing money at you, Branco. Uh, uh, so I'm sure it's a lot easier now. Um, now you've got a product out and it's launched. It's it's on the App Store, is it now? Can we download um, Square Square? Yeah, it is. Great. So yeah, I'm sure that now you've got a working product. Uh, well, I guess all the, the headaches of uh, maintaining the open rate and uh, making sure that it stays on and, and, uh, and working. So I just wanted to mention that uh, we had a recent uh, episode where I chatted to an interesting guy called Samuel uh, Hewlett. And what he's doing, is he does user onboarding. I have you come across the term user onboarding?
0: Yeah course. Yeah, sure. So I wondered
1: if you had um, incorporated that into the app and you would got any independent people going through and doing the, a user onboard for the Square One Mail app.
0: So we do have an onboarding experience and a tutorial um, that that kind of happens first thing when you install the app. Um, we built all of it in-house with a lot of design and user experience advice from uh from our advisors and investors and whichever resources we could tap into um, and, and and it's massively important and we're still nowhere near perfection um, with every update that we push out we still try to make the message a little clearer and and, and the copy a little briefer etc um, I think there are kind of two I was actually in a very interesting kind of coffee chat um, yesterday with with an amazing designer out here um, his name is uh, his name is Jared, and he was a designer at EvoMail, which is another email app. And I highly recommend to read his stuff online. He's just 19, and incredibly brilliant, Jared Arandu. And he told me that there are two parts to onboarding. One is the obvious, which is teaching the user how to use your app, and, and that's what most people do and what most people do pretty well. But the other one, which he claimed, and I agree, is, is much more important, is the part where you make the user feel not just understand but feel why they should want to use your app and stick with it and that was one of the things that mailbox for instance did such a phenomenal job of they had this video that they put out that two million people could empathize with before they even launched a product and 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 then all those people were turned into loyal users not just because the product was better than whatever was out there but also because they had this emotional loyalty to that product because they knew why they were using it they could explain it drunk in their own words to their buddy at a pub or to their grandma and and that's when you know you have a really powerful onboarding experience
1: and what have you learned then from your onboarding are there any tips that you could share uh, suggestions for us going out and developing all these different apps are there any things to avoid uh, perhaps you can give us one or two highlights of um, you know, what you found from your user onboard experience?
0: Yeah, people don't read at all. Uh, anything, <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> anything that you write um, in your onboarding, you can presume that it will not be read. And then whenever given the chance, people will just swipe through whatever you give them and, and just try to get right into your app. And so um, while we're pretty happy with the onboarding we have right now, it's, it's kind of an external swiping experience right now and and we're really um, seriously considering doing something that's much more engaged and and much less skippable. <laughs> so um, we're looking at the we're looking at perhaps the route that the paper app by Facebook took, where there is a video at the beginning, or we're maybe thinking about something much more immersive, where we let you into the app experience and then we teach you as you're using it. Um, both of those are really challenging because you get that cringy feeling of, oh, but I want to communicate all this information to the user first, um, but they will just not read it anyway, as it turns out, so um, just save yourself trouble and, and let the user see and use your service and then just teach them how to use it.
1: Yeah, I think the other challenge with we have as app developers is getting ratings and uh, clearly you know, everyone's using this. Um, Method of uh, every if you go into the app five times and you get a little pop up box saying would you like to rate the app now? Um, I always find that in my experience they're in the wrong position because it always opens up as you first open the app and you've obviously gone there to the to the app to to perform a function and it just kind of takes you away from that and so you usually skip. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it, it's really hard to get people to write reviews and it just seems such an easy thing to do. But um, I, I don't know if you're finding anything about how to how to increase the number of positive reviews that you're getting?
0: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Um, I think that you're totally right that all of those pop-ups are more annoying than they're effective. Um, we right now do have it. Um, we're thinking about just putting it away. Uh, I think that if somebody is going to give you a good review, they're going to do it of their own volition. And so my opinion right now is just put it in the basement of the app, just put it where the settings button is, just put a, give us a review, maybe highlight it or something so that it doesn't get lost. Um, but yeah, those pop-ups are annoying. And, and I don't think that there is really a silver bullet in terms of a simple UI trick. I think it's more about, again, making the user just feel like, wow, I really love this app and I actually love it so much that I want to go write a review, right? No restaurant ever prompts anybody to go give them a Yelp review. Um, I guess now they have promotional programs, but it didn't used to be the case. And and people just do it because they feel very strongly one way or the other. So just make your user feel strongly that they want to support your app, and they will, I think. But, you know, this is just coming from a theoretical plane where we definitely haven't mastered that yet. So... (laughs)
1: I almost feel I almost feel like incorporating some code that says you can no longer get access to our app unless you leave a review it can be positive it can be negative but leave a review come you in know, we've spent all this time and effort building this app and you know you as a user are getting free use of our app and you can't even be bothered to go and write you know a or even just give us a few stars (laughs) yeah people are notoriously lazy aren't they
0: people are lazy and people are spoiled it's uh you you build something it takes you a year and then you make it free and then people go ahead and say oh but it doesn't have this functionality that i thought it would have so one star um but (laughs) that's kind of the reality of the business that we're in you
1: know it's a crazy crazy world out there but um you know in the we're we're gonna wrap it up in a a few minutes uh, uh so appreciative of your time Franco and and this is a little bit off topic I just had to bring it up when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile I did see that you'd worked for the US House of Representatives and given that I'm an expert now having watched House of Cards (laughs) on Netflix uh, I just wanted to ask whether it really is uh, You know, is is, is that true? Uh, Is it a little bit like that? Or is that complete fiction and and house of cards? Uh, Who
0: knows? I was just an intern. So my job was uh, being the front line of defense for all the incoming mail and email. Um, But it's definitely a really interesting subculture. You know, I I attended a number of kind of hearings and and meetings and and, and caucus um, assemblies and things like that. And, and it, it's just like a sub-universe of its own. Um, I, it, It's very hard to describe, but I would not be shocked if all of that intrigue was going on the, underneath the surface, because um, it definitely is its own little world.
1: How amazing it was that you uh, ended up being in charge of the email, which uh, obviously the, we can now start to um, draw the dots back from your... Uh, early time at the US House of Representatives and right now to now and the fact you've solved a a problem that you were experiencing all the way through uh, college and uh, as an intern. So um, interesting, you know, following that back. Uh, So before we finish off, is there any last words you would like to leave the audience? Anything that you feel we haven't touched upon? And and also um, it would be nice to know uh, how people can get in touch with you or reach out to you and connect.
0: Yeah. Um, so second question first, um, absolutely would love anybody's feedback on the app that we've built and we're continuing to improve on. Um, it's called Square One Mail. It's in the app's productivity category. Our website is com. I can be reached at B-R-A-N-K-O at squareonemail.com. Um, would love any feedback. I, I'm very good with my email now that I have square one, so I answer emails. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> parting words is hard. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how much wisdom I've acquired, um, but I would say what has continuously surprised me and what I've gotten used to is that everything takes so much time and work and then there rarely are any kind of immediate, Huge successes and, and great tangible results. You know, if you uh when I first came up with the concept, it was over a year and a half ago, and we only launched two weeks ago, and I thought this would be a project for a month or two because I was coming from a completely non technical background. And, and and the more founders I talked to, when I I've been fortunate to talk to some of the very successful ones, the more I learned that things like building something for a year and then launching it and you think that at launch it, the entire world is going to listen and notice and, and realize that you've just changed the world and then what happens is you're lucky if you get one TechCrunch mention and 10,000 people download your app you know um, so it, it's really important to be grateful for those small steps and realize that there is very rarely like a massive um, wave of everybody being interested in what you're doing. Everybody's busy with their own lives and it's very hard penetrating that kind of noise. So just kind of keep at it and, and nurture the users that you do have and, and try to make them even happier and, and make your goal to convert a few more every week and then all of a sudden that that big event of everybody paying attention will happen at once. Yeah, one of the previous episodes
1: we had a chat with uh, Nathan Barry, who's big in digital products and he said that uh, there was one time he uh, failed to follow his own advice about a launch sequence and he just put a product out there that he thought was his best product, but because he didn't have this uh, launch sequence where he got people uh, anticipating the launch, getting excited, and then eventually uh, giving them the launch, uh, he had to then uh, pull pull this particular product and then he relaunched it using his sequence and, and got a lot more success. So you're right. I think that um, uh, it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, you mentioned that you can work on it for so long and it takes a lot longer than um, you anticipated. And uh, there's no big uh, moments, but maybe they're to come. Maybe uh, the uh, $19 billion uh, offer from Google is just around the corner and uh, that could be a <laughs> you know, Anyway, Brangler, I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, chatting to you. Thank you. You're very generous for your time. Uh, I wish you all the best. I encourage everybody to go now and leave a review or download a Square One Mail and get in touch. And it just leaves me to say thank you for joining the App Guy podcast. We'd love to keep in touch with you and, and get you on again uh, as your uh, company develops.
0: Paul, thank you so much for having me and best of luck with the podcast.
1: So there you have it, that's another episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'd be so grateful if you could go and leave a review. We did speak about this during the episode, and so if you are enjoying this content, just take a little trip over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. You're not only helping me, but you're also helping other people find the content. And that's because when you leave a review, Apple notices that and may even put us in the new and noteworthy section of podcasting. So help others find this content by leaving a review. If you did hear something through this episode that you'd like to go out and find some more information about, then you could pop over to my website. It's onemob.com. That's one onemob, b.com And just find podcasting and go to this episode with Branco Cerny. Thanks once again for listening and I'll catch you in a future episode.